0: Welcome to episode nine of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook.
1: I'm the Indian, Keith Nobles.
0: And, and uh, we're doing this podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened to episodes one through eight, um, to try to give folks a, a framework um, from which to to understand the progressive mind, if you can, right? Yeah. Keith, you know, just sort of sort of unpack a few things that you know are important. I think in today's political landscape. So. What we're going to talk about today is, a, is an issue that's near and dear to my heart, and, and it always has been, and that's education. And the state of our education, Keith, is just, it, it's, it's pretty abysmal, and it's been, it's been becoming abysmal for 50-plus-odd years, right? Yeah, it has. It's unimaginably bad,
1: and a lot of people want to declare bad as victory.
0: <laughs> Unpack that one for me. What do you mean? Well, it's not victory in any no, way,
1: no, shape, it, or form. It, well, it is from a progressive point of view. Right. Because like everything else, the education of your children for progressives is a political problem to be solved. It has nothing to do with actually educating your children so that they can educate them, i.e. indoctrinate them. Right. In the things they think they should be indoctrinated in, they consider to be victory, even if these children can't read, write, do mathematics, etc.
0: Right. None of that matters. No, none of that. None of that matters at all. No. The, the the entire objective in the progressive mind of education, the entire objective is indoctrination and, yeah. and creating good little subjects for, for their power plays. Yes. I think that's the thing that makes me so angry. You know, and and we've seen it, you know, education was starting to decline when I was going through school. It it was starting to. I had the benefit and and the pleasure of of, you know, working with many amazing teachers um throughout my educational history, but you started to see some of some of it sinking in, you know, in the yeah. open like the open classroom concept. And, you know, everybody needs to feel good about themselves and all of this affirmation. And, you know, I mean it's not it's educational, it's it's psychological therapy rather than education at this point in time. You started to see that back then. Now we're reaping the results of 50 years of that pedagogy. And and that's Am I saying that right? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> I've never, never, I've only ever read the word. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we're looking at now. So, I mean, and, and just how bad is it? I know that you've got some statistics that you Well, I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, and people really should stop and think about this. Because right. we spend about more than three quarters of a trillion dollars on public school education.
0: That's a lot of money.
1: It is a lot of money in this country. What do we get for that money we spend? So. Illinois has 930 schools where only 10% of the children could do math at grade level. 10% of Black students in Chicago read at grade level. 5% of Black and Hispanic third graders in Denver read at grade level. There's 23 schools Baltimore where zero students are proficient at math. 23 schools, not a single student. Zero. Yeah, not one student in those 23 schools is proficient at math. And people may say, well, maybe those places are The lower end of the socioeconomic scale. But why should that matter? It should, but let's just go with that argument. Okay. Okay. So here's uh, because I looked this up because I was really curious. So Jefferson County, Colorado, more popularly known as Jeffco, uh, for people don't know, is the county just west of Denver into the foothills and the mountains. So a suburb of Denver, it is very affluent.
0: Well, I was going to say not a poor part of Denver. Oh, no, yeah. no,
1: no. Average house price is about five hundred eighty thousand dollars Average household income is just shy of $100,000. And it is 91% white. Okay. And Jefferson County Public Schools, 50% of students read a grade level, 37% are proficient at math. So let's assume from a socioeconomic point of view, that's about as good as it's going to get. Right. It's Jefferson County, Colorado. Right. And those, those numbers are abhorrent. Fifty percent read grade level, thirty-seven percent are proficient at grade level for uh, math for gr- their grade level.
0: That's that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's unbelievable, and it, it's unbelievably sad. It I is. Mean, Jeffco, and and Jeffco has been the site, the, the Jeffco school board in in particular. I mean, you and I are both from the Denver area. Has been has been the uh, the milieu of many political back and forth, uh, you know, fights at this point in time. Yeah, we did have conservative school board members at one point in time. Okay. Republican. <laughs> we well, had Republican school board yeah, members. Well, the, they didn't last long. Right.
1: Was my, my right. the audible eye roll people heard. <laughs> yeah. They just didn't last long. The, right. The, the union got together, basically, all out, recalled them. They were gone.
0: Yeah. Well, and the union, 100% of the time is the problem in all of this.
1: Almost 100% of the time. Yes. Unions are very often responsible for this. Unions are always responsible for preventing this from being corrected.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly the point. Yeah. And that's exactly my point. I mean, I can go on (laughs) my usual soapbox rant about public sector unions, yes. I mean, the people fighting about other, you know, two two parties fighting about other people's money that, you know, neither one of them has an incentive to uh, to rein that in.
1: No, I mean, the basic problem with public sector unions are, unlike unions in the private sector, the private sector would be illegal for a union to go to the person they're negotiating with and give them money. Right. In the <laughs> public sector, like, is that not illegal? That's, that's the entire model of how it works. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can... You're negotiating on behalf of the taxpayers. I'm negotiating on behalf of the union. I in the union can
0: give you money right. I mean, it's insane. The whole idea. It's it's, it, its absolutely insane. Well, and it defeats the entire purpose and it gives us the results that we're getting from the public sector unions. So, you know, any, anything that's unionized and education in particular. Yeah, I mean, it's...
1: Yeah. Everything that's wrong with the bureaucratic, centralized, unionized model of government is on full display within public education.
0: It really is. It really is. And, and just, I mean, it's just so sad. Yeah. So as as it turns out the way that the way that it all functions at this point is that our kids are nothing more than political footballs they're pawns yeah they're pawns in in the games of of you know these supposed grown-ups who all they want to do is make everything political yes. and that's that's you know it does not matter who was the uh You know, just kind of tie all of this back in together. Um, Who was the union president? I will never remember this guy's name. Who said that, you know, they'll start caring about the kids when the kids start paying union dues? Exactly. Right. Exactly. I wish I knew who said that. (laughs) It's obvious. Yeah. You
1: just don't care. No. About the kids. No. No, There are probably teachers who care a great deal about the kids. There are. But they are trying to exist within a system which the children aren't even individual political pawns. They're just collective political pawns.
0: Exactly. I mean, who, who, Flipping cares. Yeah. And so then what you get is you get a playground. Haha, <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> you, you get a playground for every single social justice issue that exists under the sun. And that's that's where they go to test out everything. Yeah. Is in the schools. So the whole transgender ideology thing, and and you know, all the stuff with the pandemic and you know, all of this stuff. Let's experiment. On our children. Yeah. It's really kind of what it is.
1: Yeah. So I don't even know if it's experimenting on the children, right? They don't care. They're just looking to solve a political problem. Right. Right. Your child's education is a political problem for them to solve. Whatever happens, your individual child is not relevant to them. Your child's sexuality is a political problem for them to solve. Has nothing to do with if your child thrives or not. Right. Yeah, I mean they're they're there to solve their political problems and whatever the needs of your child are are not registering on the scale.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's that's so obvious over and over and over again. Now, again, I w- I want to emphasize that we I think both know and believe very much there are teachers in the system who are excellent to teachers. And and you know, I had some of those teachers like I was saying earlier. I had some of those teachers growing up who one hundred percent cared about the children, yeah, absolutely, but the union the union does not the administration does not um, and, and it's overwhelmingly progressive, yeah, in how they go about doing things and the objectives that they've adopted for the work that they do, so where should we go with this i mean I, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so many problems and and we've you know obviously we've identified the problem, I think the key the, the key thing that I want to I want to emphasize as, as part of this um, part of this podcast is that Republicans and, and more particularly conservatives have in education and opportunity, you know, and I hate to bring it back to politics for our side as well. I and mean, we we have an opportunity to help children thrive. Yes. But we have a political opportunity to actually come out on top. With the education as the, as the core issue, we saw that uh, with Glenn Youngkin, for example, uh, governor of, of Virginia, put children and education front and center in his campaign, and he was he was elected because of that. Um, you know, we see that coming around, and after the pandemic, uh, after the way that the blue states, the way that the the school administrators, the way that the unions handled our children's best interest or mishandled our children's best interest during the pandemic is is, uh, absolutely an opportunity for us to show what conservative values look like. And at this point in time, the American electorate is willing to bet on Republicans for the issue of education, they are beginning to trust Republicans more, and that's not been the case over the course of the past fifty or so years. Democrats have always held an advantage on the subject of ed- of education. Now Republicans are are making up the difference, and it's a it's a real toss up at this point in time.
1: For a long time, the, the D- Democrat progressive argument is really simple: give us more money, so your children get a better education. Always,
0: yes, always, yes,
1: and it's obvious to everybody other than the most blind true believer in progressivism that spending more money on education is no connection or correlation whatsoever to the quality of education a child receives.
0: Absolutely none. None. Yeah. None. Well, and and part of the reason is because they they take that money and they spend it on administrators, on the administration. And, And so now we've got really Really, and I don't have the I don't have the statistics off the top of my head, but it's something like three to one um, administrators to teachers in personnel na- nationwide. Yeah, you know, this is this yeah. is how things are structured. Never used to be the case.
1: No, I, I think since 1970 on a per capita per student capita basis. Right. Administrators are up seven X.
0: Seven times.
1: Yeah, we have seven times per student, seven times more administrators than we have 1970.
0: Unbelievable. It is. Unbelievable. And then on top of that, we've got, you know, falling scores on, on standardized tests. We've got grade inflation. So the kids think they're doing well and they're not. Yeah. Um, you know, grade inflation is a huge problem. Everybody's just aimed at making sure the kids all feel good about themselves, not that they can read and write and do arithmetic.
1: Well, the kids feel good about themselves that the teachers choose to feel good about themselves.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's true of all the children. Well, no, but I mean, that's, that's the objective of, of education at this point. I mean, that's, that's their ostensible. Yeah. That, that's what the research is about. And that's when they're, you know, putting together the, the, the classroom plans and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's, that's what they're trying to do is, is, they're they're dumbing things down so that the kids feel good about themselves. I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, that's well, sounds harsh, but...
1: No, there's a lot of truth in that statement. But it's not just, you know, dumbing it down. It's what are you teaching these kids? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about Jeffco right. a little bit ago. Somebody told me maybe a week or two ago that their child goes to a school, Jeffco, and they have canceled study hall. And replaced it with basically a mandatory sensitivity training kind of class. Grief. Yeah. I mean, so you're looking at half the kids read a grade level. 37% are proficient at math. And you just cancel study hall because they want to have this mandatory class about Other people are important, don't bully people, respect people's feelings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I know how to solve that problem real quick, and it's not sensitivity training, it's expulsion. Yeah, well. You know, it's pretty easy. (laughs) Well, it
1: it is, but that's the values they have. Right. Our last episode, we talked about conservatism. I think you were talking uh, Russell Kirk. Yeah. But the variety of life. Yeah. Right? Okay, modern education is meant to defeat the variety of life.
0: It is. It really is. It is. To be fair, public education has always been, to some degree, about that because the aim of public education, in at least in the U.S. Um, post-industrial uh, revolution, was to create good factory workers. You know, so so there's something to that. Yeah, you know, there's some sameness in that, and I and I get that. But I I don't know if I ever
1: had any my. In my family history, who went to school to be a factory worker? No, 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 that was, no, none, none, none. That was not. <laughs> not. Not saying that
0: that was. Yeah,
1: who <laughs> were any factories where we lived?
0: <laughs> no, that wasn't. But I, I think overall is to create good worker bees. Um, you know, and people who you know who understood the history and of the U.S., um, who knew how to do math, who who could function in society. Yeah, and not necessarily thrive. You know, or, or you know that wasn't really the objective. I don't. I don't think. When you get more to the, the private models, you know, or, or, you know, what private schools used to be, yeah, uh, whether they are now or not, I, I don't have any kids, so I don't have any real exposure to that. But um, what I do see is like with the charter school. With the rise of the charter schools, and and uh, something that I've seen with that rise is the rise in classical learning, yeah, the great books learning and that kind of thing, which which was the prevailing model prior to you know Dewey, prior to Dewey. (laughs) Well. Yeah. And yeah. prior to 1960-ish, you yeah. know, I, I, I'd, I'd like to say that, you know, you had the trivium model, you had, you know, grammar school, middle school, or junior high school, as we used to call it, and, and high school. And, and, you know, those roughly corresponded to the, the ages at which you're, you're memorizing stuff, you're learning to, to analyze stuff, and then you're learning to synthesize stuff. And, you know, in that order. Right. And and that is a good model for turning out people who actually know how to think. Right. But that's not been the case for many, many, many years.
1: No, it has not. Read something R.D. Lang said. Okay. All those people who seek to control the behavior of large numbers of other people work on the experiences of those other people. Once people can be induced to experience a situation in a similar way. They can be expected to behave in similar ways. Induce people all the want the same thing, hate the same things, feel the same threat. Then your behavior is already captive. You've acquired your consumers or cannon fodder.
0: Okay. Unpack so, that for me.
1: Back to what we're talking about, Jeffco, and the uh, sensitivity training. Taking these students, say you're all going to experience these things, view these things in the same way. Right. You're not going to apply your own logic. You're not going to apply your own experience. You're not going to apply your own sense. You got to determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Right. Right. We're we're going to instruct you on these things. And so, yeah, you're going to have these common experiences that makes manipulating people very, very easy. Right. That's really what it is. And that's the reason so many corporations have gone woke and are behind this stuff. (laughs) Because face it, right? If you're a corporation, you have to compete on who has the best product or who can solve your problem the best. That's a difficult thing. But if you can... (laughs) Teach people buying my product is the politically correct thing to do. Right? How easy is that? You don't have to compete on the grounds of is your product useful? Does it solve the problem the best? Is it better than? The,
0: you know, none of that. Right. So, <laughs> well, that DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion is the bane of of our existence at this point. I mean, it it, it really is. And watching it seep, you know, into I I think I get more outraged about it being in our schools because those are our kids. Yes. And and it is not right. At least, you know, theoretically, grown adults should be able to make these distinctions them, themselves. You know, we ought to be able to think rationally and, and be able to do all this. But um, kids well, don't have that opportunity.
1: No, and the problem here with diversity, equity and inclusion, mm-hmm. right? We live in a diverse society. That's just a given.
0: Right. And
1: there should be inclusion of everyone. It's the basis of that inclusion. If that inclusion is premised on us being free citizens in a republic. Right. Right. Versus the diversity, equity, and inclusion model, which is not that you are all free citizens in a republic, but that some of you are perpetrators and some of you are victims. Right. That's the whole intent of that model. And it starts in school, dividing children up. You are, I mean, you take a six-year-old, tell them they're a perpetrator or they're
0: a victim. Based on immutable characteristics. I yes, mean, that's, that's based the on that's immutable key. characteristics. Yes.
1: They have no idea they're a victim or a perpetrator. You've just now informed them that they are. Right. And you will spend this education process reaffirming to them that they're a victim or a perpetrator based on nothing other than what progressives find to be politically convenient. Right? Right. That's the entire basis. So you're going to tell six-year-old Caucasian males that they're perpetrators. And you're going to tell them that for the next 12 years in many of these school
0: districts. Yep. What do you get when you do that? You get hopeless people. Yeah. (laughs) Right?
1: I mean, you really do. Yeah. Right? And conversely, you're going to tell other people they are victims. And with that victimhood comes some sense of entitlement. That is probably not going to be fulfilled in the real world. They're probably not going to be given what they have come to be educated probably that they're entitled to.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, and that's really kind of the bottom line. So now now we're touching on uh, CRT on critical race theory and, uh, you know, which has invaded all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, it, in general, t- telling people that they're evil just because of their skin color is, is just a bad thing to do. <laughs> I think we just agree on that. Why? Why is this so hard? Why is it so hard for progressives just to, to, to agree with that simple statement? We're back
1: to Berkeley, the new left, 1959. I suppose, I suppose. Right? I mean, this is the whole basis of that, that you can't sell. They gave up on selling the Bolshevik type of communism in the United States, realized that was never going to work here. Right. So right. we're so going to divide people up by yeah. race, gender, those sorts of characteristics. Yeah. And create envy between those things, not envy between Economic classes right in this country right, and here we are
0: it makes me tired well yeah <laughs> yeah I, it really does it yeah. really does it just yeah. it just makes me exhausted i i I don't know, so all right, so let's let's get a little more structured here so so the problems obviously, our kids are not performing they're they're not learning yeah. the bottom line they're right. not learning we can't compete on a world stage because they're not learning right um and they, they graduate, they're, they're entitled, they feel entitled, or, you know, they've been, they've been educated in the wrong things for yes. their entire lives. That's right. And then on top of that, we've got teachers who at this point have been raised in the same system. so they went through the same educational background. And so the, the ones who are teaching are perpetuating it. And teaching
1: now, when you go to college to prepare to be a teacher, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have any subject matter expertise no, whatsoever. no. All you're learning there for that four years is how to deliver a curriculum. Right. And, and that's it. It you
0: know, could I be think, any, it's just any curriculum. Yeah, it well, could it be like anything. We mentioned
1: yeah. in a previous episode, some of the teachers I had, and I graduated high school in 1980, so a while ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my my government teacher in high school, his other job, he was a lawyer.
0: Okay. Right. He actually knew something yeah, about no, what he was, he was he, doing. I yeah, yeah. no, don't, don't
1: know a lot about the law, of the constitution. Sure. And, yeah, he he understood that stuff. He understood how government worked. He understood how courts worked. He, right, right. All this stuff now, firsthand right. experience. Right? right, this was his other job. Right, I had a ancient history teacher who you know lectured from slides he took.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, all throughout the Middle East and yeah. the Fertile Crescent and Egypt and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, you had teachers who actually had expertise in what they were. Right. Right. I mean, I had an English teacher, Dr. Elliott, who had a PhD in English. English Actually literature. Studied eight, she she yeah. understood English literature. Now we could, you now today argue about the usefulness of getting a PhD in English literature. <laughs> if that was really worth you know, the time, money, and effort to teach high school, but it was she knew her stuff. Right. Right? I mean, that was the thing. And now you have an education system where you are not required to know your stuff. Somebody told me, how this was been a couple of years, but a date they went on with a school teacher okay. who taught uh, high school history, I believe it was. Okay. And they were talking and she asked if John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy were related.
0: And she's teaching. She's
1: teaching like high school history.
0: history. <laughs> That's right. Oh, like,
1: exactly. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was too young to remember those people. Yeah. And she, were they related? Well, yeah, they were, they were brothers, but
0: yeah. Good grief.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But that's it, right? Teachers are no longer have any particular, in many cases, any particular expertise in any of these subjects. No. I I mentioned before, my father was a teacher. Right. Right. He had a bachelor's degree in history, a master's degree in history, and then a master's degree in school administration. Okay. But he knew history yeah right I mean you know, he this history. Studied that's, it. that's yeah. That, yeah. exactly right and yes, it's just isn't the case anymore
0: well and and definitely not in public schools now, again, in private schools and and the charter school system, you know we're seeing that's that's much better that's a much better situation
1: generally it is
0: and 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 part of the reason obviously is because they are in the marketplace competing for those education education dollars yes. and for those for those students to to come to their school so Competition makes everything better.
1: Generally, that is a very true statement. Makes
0: everything better. And so, you know, that's why we're seeing, you know, in, in charter schools. And that's why we're seeing unions fight so hard against charter schools. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, obviously, private schools, you know, cannot get any public money, you know, obviously. So they, they fight against vouchers. They fight against charter schools. They fight against everything because they, again, 100% do not have the children's best interest at heart.
1: No, they don't care about the children whatsoever. No. No. I mean, yeah, to go back to these numbers, if you're a teacher and you're one of these 930 schools in Illinois where only 10% of the children do math at grade level. Right. You're a teacher in Denver Public Schools where only 5% of Black and Hispanic students read at grade level. If you're 23, well, a teacher of one of those 23 schools in Baltimore where zero students in the entire school are proficient at math. Right. How do you defend that? I mean, just from... Point of view of spending a dime, how do you defend this? And I don't think it is defensible. Here's the problem, right? With unionized government employees, right? Right. Not only do you not, I used to, for a long time, made a joke that you couldn't fire a school teacher unless they committed a felony against a child. I had to quit making that joke because teachers were committing felonies against children and still not getting fired. Right. Right? And and so, yeah, what to take to lose that job? Well, you, you can't don't. imagine yeah. How how horrific something has to be to lose that job. But it's not just that. It's the way the pay structure is set up. You don't get paid because you're a great teacher or a lousy teacher. You all get paid the same. Yeah. So it's Darwinian and that really good teachers very often go find something else to do where they are rewarded Bingo. for their proficiency. Exactly.
0: And what exactly.
1: and you end up with is it, Darwinian turnover. Bad teachers stay. Yep. Can't lose a job. Bad teachers stay. Can't lose a job. Good teachers move on very often to go do something else. Right. And that's how you end up with this situation. And you can't, you just can't fire these people because they're not very good at their job.
0: Well, they're obviously not good at their job, but well, and, and what they do is they will shuffle them off to another school, you know, so they just get to spread the misery around and around and around. So, yeah, I, I mean, I know
1: quite a few teachers who have left teaching the last 10 years. Right. Because.
0: Why? Oh yeah. yeah For the stay? level of
1: effort they put into it, they could do so much better something else. Right. And what you're left with are the teachers who don't put in the level of effort.
0: Right. And never have. And that's exactly that's exactly what you're gonna get yeah. in this system. So Yeah. All right. So we've defined the problems. How do we fix it? Is is really kind of the bottom line. I mean, other than getting progressives out of, you know, any position of power anywhere doing anything. What are the practical steps that need to be taken? In order to fix our education system. Well,
1: so let's talk about why it's so difficult to fix. Okay. Okay. The reason it's difficult to fix is because so few people have the money to pay for their child's education. Right. That's number one. Why it's so hard to fix. Right. Okay. So it means you're going to have public money involved. You have public money involved. You will have politicians involved. Okay. This is, I mean, the basic problem, and and you can understand why. Like, if you're a 24 year old single mother. Yeah. With a five year old child, and you're working at Target. I yeah. mean, you just don't have the money to say, Hey, I'm going to send my kid to that school, no matter how affordable that school is. Right. You don't have the extra money. And this is just the reality to it. So you're going to go to public school or school where it's paid for. Yep. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, this is the, the heart of the problem is you can't get the money out of the system because you can't get the money out of the system. You can't. Completely get the politics out of the system.
0: Right. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is, that is a huge part of the problem. So and these efforts to have funding follow the student are promising. Right. But
1: even then, right? If, if the money is public, how much say is, are the politicians going to have and what goes on at the school that accepts that money? That's really, the end of the day, the Oh, that's the hook.
0: That that is the hook. I mean, and that's that. That's why, um, for example, Hillsdale College is yeah. is such a treasure, a national treasure, because they take no public money. Yeah, and so they don't get told what they can and can't teach, what they can and can't do, and right. you know, they're not they're not subject to any of those rules because they take no public money. So, right,
1: and there are private schools, right, you now do the same thing, but generally they are out of reach for most people. Right, so yeah, that that's really the question. How do you and I'll tell you, uh, it's like someone I knew used to argue, well, you need some public oversight, some political oversight of this money. Because otherwise you have uh, know nation of Islam starting schools and tax dollar payers. Tax Tax dollar money would be paid for them. That's a point to be taken. But is that really a worse outcome than what we have now? And I'm no fan of the Nation of Islam, <laughs> right? Right. But is it really worse? Yeah. You know, take that risk that somebody may want to send their kids to a Nation of Islam school They're, over
0: what we have now. With So I'm a firm believer that parents should be responsible for the moral upbringing of their children. Yeah. Okay. And that they, parents, get to make those decisions. Right. So if a parent and wants... And it's
1: repulsive to progressives.
0: I know, absolutely repulsive. Well, it takes a village, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's they've they've laid claim to our children. You know, this is really kind of the bottom line. Yeah, they claim to our children. They absolutely have. But that may be, you know, repulsive to progressives, and and nation of Islam is repulsive to you and me. But if that parent, you know, makes that choice with their children, and that parent gets to make that choice with their children, right? Freedom doesn't always. In fact, freedom doesn't get tested until people are making decisions I don't agree with, right? Do we live in a free country or not? Right If we live in a free country, you get to make decisions that I don't agree with so so there's that and so i uh, your friend your friend's argument is not accurate.
1: I had a teacher once tell me the problem with vouchers was Plessy v. Ferguson okay. <laughs> you could have schools that go no black students or whatever really, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, these are the kind of arguments made against us, right? Right. The the nature of those arguments, and uh,
0: I'm I'm pretty sure that I mean, especially given the climate in our country at this point in time, that there will be schools that say no white children. uh, That's entirely possible. Uh, I'd say you know that that's that's exactly. I mean, you can always put that shoe on the other foot. No, that's probably much more likely. I think that that's very likely. I'd say that that's that's you know, if we were to go to to vouchers and so forth, again, uh, not my choice to make, but having the competition is the way that is the way forward. Right. Uh, Absolutely. 100% on this is having competition for those voucher dollars creates better schools because they're finally focused on what they're actually supposed to be doing. Or or at least on what the parents want them to be doing. Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. This is the problem. You have a common progressive refrain, select some subset of people and point out some past discrimination. Mm Mm-hmm. Generally, it's, it's a valid observation. There has been past discrimination against this group or that group at some point in time. Right. Right. However, what the progressives omit is all the solutions they've implemented to address the past discrimination has, generally speaking, made things worse for these subsets of people. Right. I mean, we talked about this with Walter Williams before, Jim Crow in 1920 right. versus today. Right? It, right. If you point to past discrimination as justification for your solutions and your solutions produce more instances of Mental health issues, more homelessness, more crime, more substance abuse, more suicide, less employment, less home ownership, less business ownership, less likelihood of stable relationships. How do you not recognize that your solutions is worse than the problem you're pretending to solve? Right, right, and that's that's kind of where we're at here. Pretending to solve is the yeah, key, yeah. In that. Well, <laughs> yeah. across the board, but particularly right in education. They've conflated this past discrimination as a justification for solution that produces worse outcomes than the discrimination produced. That's not an argument or justification for discrimination. Not at all. It's an argument that what progressives have done is worse than what the discrimination produced and that their answer is superior both to discrimination and the progressive solutions. Right. Right. What they tend to do, like the Plessy v. Ferguson argument, they automatically go to this, well, if you don't buy the progressive solutions, then you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're want to continue discrimination. Yeah, it's just intellectually morally dishonest, but this is kind of what we predicated public education on, is moral and intellectual dishonesty, is making right. these kinds of arguments.
0: And, and to, to add insult to injury or, or to you know, add insult to irony, I guess, we have produced from that same education system an entire generation or generations incapable of rationally... Assessing that argument no, and incapable of thinking their way out of a paper bag. Well, they politically so that
1: we, assess that argument, right? That's that's the problem, right? Because that's what essentially all this wokeism in these various school districts, various schools, various teachers are teaching, right? Right? Political solutions, education.
0: Right, and because that's the entire purpose of, yes, of what they're doing. Right, exactly. So, again, I want to get back to what are the solutions. Then? So let's go ahead. Go ahead. Well,
1: I was gonna say. I mean, vouchers help. You know, having funding follow the student, not the system. Yep, is a big step. Yep, that's a good step, right? Yep. But we're really gonna have to have a genuine conversation about where those dollars can be spent. For all the reasons I mentioned before. Okay. Right. Say, all right, you can spend this at any school. You want even that Nation of Islam school, right? And a lot of people are going to find that repulsive. But we, we really have to discuss if that's really where we want to go. Because otherwise, if you provide government the ability to pick and choose which private schools to get the money, government will choose the private schools most politically expedient for them to choose. Bingo.
0: Right. That's that. Yeah. And that's the basic conundrum we have here. Right. I, I think that government needs to be completely out of that. They, they need to be completely out of that decision. Yeah, and I would agree. It, it needs to be up to the parents 100 percent. Yeah. The benefits, I guess, if there's any if there's any silver lining to to what the progressives are doing to education is that it has created a, an entire Industry of educational innovation. Yeah, um, that you know, I mean, there's there's edupreneurs. I guess they call them. You know, they they're calling this. You know, at this point in time, I mean, obviously, the ability to homeschool and and have that as an option, which many people would be surprised to find was not. Would would be surprised to hear was not always an option. Oh no, no, it was illegal yes, to educate it was. your
1: children. Yeah, when when I was a child, it was generally legal.
0: Right. Yeah, but that being able to homeschool your kids has led to a whole bunch of of different solutions that are out there in you know, pod schools. Yes you know, co-op family co-ops that, you know, you get three or four families together, they hire a teacher, um, you know, there's just different options out there to to be able to do this and satisfy whatever quote unquote requirements the, the government has put in place, which are not being met anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, obviously homeschooling and, and being able to do all this kind of stuff and being able to do it cost effectively for that 24 year old single mom, who's got a five year old kid. Yes. Um, you know, being able to, to, to cost-effectively provide an education for these kids is, is what really we need to get to. Vouchers help with that. Uh, innovation helps with that. Yes. Uh, technology, you know, and being able to, you know, remote learning and all that kind of stuff, which we have plenty of experience with now. Yeah. After the pandemic. It
1: will help immensely if we just got the federal government out of the education Bingo. field entirely. Sure. Get rid of the Department of Education. Get rid of federal money. What does it money? do anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they pay off the unions. That's what they do. <laughs> it's
0: but, not, uh, get, not a valid purpose for a government agency. No, it's not.
1: <laughs> get the federal dollars out of your local education system. Right. Because the federal dollars all come with strings, right? Those strings are all tied to politics. Yep. Not to what's best for your child's education. Yep. Tied to a senator a congressman and paying off their cronies. Right. And so, yeah, get the federal government out of it entirely. Right. And uh, having gone almost my entire education prior to the department of education being formed. Right. Prior to those dollars. Sure. Flowing in. Right. It, it was, yeah, it was an entirely different story. Right. Because school was local. Those school boards were local. Yep. Except my, my father was a teacher and he used to talk about all those school superintendents before the federal dollars, before the union's. Those school superintendents were budget hawks. Yeah. That was their job. Yeah. They were sitting there going, here's how much money we have. Here's how much money we're going to spend. Why would you spend a buck? You didn't have to spend. Yeah. Right? And, and it's funny now because, and I'm not saying it's necessarily easy being a teacher. It's not my point, but my dad started teaching. Right. His first job was at Hayes, Kansas, I believe 1955. Mm-hmm. And uh, he taught school. Kay. He drove the school bus. <laughs> Okay. He was required to coach sports, and any as athletic events he didn't coach, he was required to be the referee or the (laughs) umpire. And yeah, it was a yeah, it was a fourteen-hour day. Holy moly! Job, right? Yeah, drive the school bus. You do, you know. Uh, Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a long day every day, and it was because those school superintendents were budget hawks. Right, they weren't gonna hire a school bus driver. They have teachers who can drive,
0: <laughs> right? I mean, that was, that was the, the thought, right? We're, we're yeah. not
1: paying umpires and referees. We have teachers.
0: That makes sense. Right?
1: We're not hiring coaches just to coach. We have teachers. Right. And this was, yeah, you got a whole range of duties
0: aside from just teaching school. That wasn't, that. yeah, there was more to it than yeah, that's right. just that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but Yeah. And now, despite the argument that there is so little money. Right. And teachers are underpaid. And by the way, my view is... Good teachers probably are underpaid. Bad teacher teachers are vastly overpaid. That's they shouldn't be employed at all. Good point. But be that as it may, yeah, we have this this bulking up of the school administration that has just absorbed all this money. Yeah, all this money.
0: Yeah, because I mean that's and that's really bottom line. That's that's where all the money's going. So yeah. you know, throwing more money at the problem is not going to solve it because they just put it into administration. Yeah, well, yeah. They're not hiring better teachers. They're not. They're not.
1: Every dollar we spend on education, we might as well just go set that on fire. Bingo. Yeah. It it, it did nothing to improve the education of these children. Absolutely. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like as mentioned before, there's no correlation between money spent and quality of education received. None.
0: None. Okay. Well, so getting rid of the unions, limiting the size of the administration. In public schools, vouchers having the money follow the kids. Yeah, well, and that alone would help solve the first two problems. It, it would help. It h- help accomplish the first two things. Yeah, and get the federal dollars and stop get
1: the, flowing. Right, that would do so much to get rid of the the overhead of the administration.
0: Right. Yeah. So eliminate the Department of Education, free up that part of the budget, or reduce our taxes. You know, just spitballing here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. You know, something like that. You know, these are the things that that would actually accomplish part of it. Part of it too, though, is uh, two two other things that will help improve educational outcomes for our kids. One, get back to the trivium model, the classic, classical education model. Yeah. The more schools that do that, the better we are. Right. The better, the better citizens we have yeah. who actually understand. Um, And then two, parents need to get involved. Yeah. The the number one predictor for success in education is the involvement of the parents. Number one predictor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's part of it, too. So if you're a parent out there and you're not involved in your kid's education. You're not reading to your kids. You're not, And then it's probably not our audience yeah. <laughs> who, is, who is terribly guilty of that. But that is the number one predictor. You need to be involved in your kid's education. You need to be involved in reading to them and yeah. doing, doing things like that because that's how they become successful.
1: Yeah. Even then, it's tough to fight the school district. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I know somebody who uh, their child was not doing well in school. And they went to the school, basically said, you know, my kids get D's and F's. What can we do? This is not acceptable. Right. How do we fix this? Right. right? And the school district's uh, attitude, uh, the teacher, the counselor, et cetera, was basically, yeah, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. They're like, Wait a minute. this is a very big deal. <laughs> my kid's not learning. That's a big deal. Wow. And and so, yeah, again, this was a, a yeah. Pretty affluent school district, huh. know, pretty affluent community. And so, yeah, I mean, there's some attitude here that's taken hold. That's interesting. It, I mean, it's very interesting. Not a big
0: deal. I mean, so what, what did they think was a big deal? I mean,
1: uh, well, you know, as long as they weren't uh, misbehaving in the politically incorrect ways at in school, not a big deal
0: if your kids get D's and F's. I'm impressed that they actually were giving out D's and F's, though. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's that. Yes. So instead yes. of instead of the child failing and then giving him a B so that he doesn't feel bad about himself. You know, I mean, uh, parents can parents can shore some of that up, you know, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and and turn that kid around unless he just wasn't interested well, in learning. At no, all. I
1: basically, yeah, I think it came down to just babysitting them while they did their homework. Bingo. That was that was the solution. Just sit there and make right. sure that's what they were doing. Right. Which is
0: not fun for the parents. No, that's part of the solution. Yes, that is part of the solution. So, I mean, and I don't know.
1: Let's be clear. I hated school. Did you? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I yeah, so many fun things to do in life. Why am I sitting here <laughs> doing this? Right. And, and to be honest, I, I, I couldn't read after the second grade. Right. My aunt taught me how to read Okay. the summer between second and third grade. Right. So, in the vernacular of the day, they're like, this kid's like bitterly retarded. <laughs> and uh, no, I just didn't want to be there. Right. I don't want to be doing this nonsense right. reading, writing. I don't want to do this. Why I want to be out do doing this? all this fun stuff outside. Bike that, to ride. That, exactly. <laughs> so my, my aunt taught me how to read. Yeah. And in third grade, they give you this little you know, third grade IQ test. Yeah. And they go, oh, this kid's not stupid. He's really smart. Right. And they put you in all the advanced classes. So that's even back in the day, it was
0: yeah. far
1: from perfect or efficient. Right. I mean, if my aunt hadn't have bothered to say and teach me how to read, she taught me how to read in like two hours. Right. I and mean, it was nothing. Right. Right. But yeah, how many other kids that didn't happen to. Right. Right? They just got pigeonholed as slow and Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I I learned how to read when I was 4 and before, no, before
1: I was learned how to sword fight.
0: Well, there's that, (laughs) you know, which is also an important skill to have as, as you know, you're growing up. But uh, no, I I learned how to read when I was four. My mom always told the story that she came downstairs and I was, I was reading a book. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading. And she said, prove it. (laughs) So I did, (laughs) but, but it was because she had read to me, you know, from these books and stuff. So, you know, I, I one day made the, the association between the words and the sounds coming out of her mouth, but And then I I learned how to count to 100 before kindergarten. So I spent like six weeks in kindergarten and I spent the next 12 years paying for them having put me up (laughs) to first grade because I was the smart kid and which was not a good thing to be in the 1970s in elementary school. So or maybe at any time, I don't know, but at least for me. But, you know, and I loved school. I, I, I loved school. I did not like my schoolmates. Um, And I hated high school because of that. You know, I would have been very happy to just have a room alone in the library. That would be very cool. But, you know, I loved I loved learning. I loved the process of it and still do. So that was a very fortunate outcome of my, you know, my education growing up. Not every kid gets that.
1: No, they don't. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I knocked out a lot of classes in high school early on. Sure. I had enough credits my senior year. All I took was one class.
0: You only took what?
1: One class. One class. Government. That was all I was required to take. That's so all okay. I needed. I took government. And I spent a lot of time riding my motorcycle. There you go. So <laughs> that was I did. Yeah, that was kind of my senior year. One class and riding motorcycle.
0: Kind of I did PE my senior year. It's I because I didn't do it any other time. <laughs> hated hated physical education. Hated it. But uh yeah, I mean it's but but something is just culture change here with children. Yeah, I think and, so. And
1: you can talk to millennials and younger. Okay. Especially those with all this student debt. Yeah. Why did you end up with all this debt? Well, I was told I had to go to college to succeed. Well, what a lie. Yeah. What an absolute lie. Yeah. And, and I, and, but there's something happened there because they believe them. So when I was in high school, I had your you know, guidance counselor. and My guidance counselor was like, well, you need to go do this, this, that, and apply to these colleges. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I really want to do that. He's like, oh, no, you need to. And I'm like, well, you know, thinking that's probably great advice if I wanted to be a high school guidance counselor. But I don't. <laughs> and, and I didn't do any of the things he suggested. Okay. And people I went to high school with, I, I think we all viewed the post-school life as just full of options. Yeah. To go seize. Yeah. To go out what you want your life to look like. And lots of people I went to high school with went off and did lots of things. Yeah. Lots, lots went to college. Yeah. One guy I know, worked on a fishing boat in Alaska for four or five years, saved up enough money, came back and bought a house. Wow. There were a number of guys I went to high school with that got whatever jobs they could, saved their money, and they would, as a group, go surf the money ran out different places, right? Uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, Central, South America. Wow, yeah, and they, they did that for four or five years after we graduated. They huh. would just work whatever job you work lumber yard or whatever, save up your money, and then go spend three months in Mexico cool. surfing. And <laughs> it, it, yeah, <laughs> I, and most of those people ended up doing really well in life without sure. following that the traditional path. You have to go to college, yeah, and things like that. Somewhere in there, starting probably with the millennials, it was, no, you have to go to college. It's like, no, no, no,
0: I was part of my generation too, or at least it was for the school that I went to. You know, I was it was that or, or joined the military. I went to Air Academy High School. So oh, it yeah. was on the Air Force Academy. So a lot of military um, yes. folks in, in my class. I didn't really keep up with anybody from high school and I've never been to one of the reunions. Like I said, hated high school. So I don't know what everybody ended up doing, but it was definitely pushed to me to, to do all this stuff. The problem was they didn't tell you how, and my folks, neither one of them had gone to college, so really didn't understand how all this stuff worked, yeah. and, and the guidance counselors were no help, uh, which was unfortunate that, yeah. you know, I, I was really late trying to figure out what what to do and how how to do it. I didn't apply for any of the scholarships because it just it just never occurred to us that I needed it. And there's lots of reasons why I ended up having to need it, but that story is a story for another day. But without that knowledge, that was unfortunate. Um, and and I don't know the kids are are getting. I mean, they they get they get the you, how you apply to college and how do you apply for scholarships, yeah. and they get all that kind of stuff. They get that. And you're right. I mean, they're being pushed into it. Yeah. To to yeah. get the loans and, and yeah, and they're getting degrees
1: that aren't marketable. Right. Right. It's like Mike Rose said we're lending money we don't have to kids who can't pay it back to train them for jobs that no longer exist. Yeah. That's nuts. That is nuts. <laughs> right. But that's exactly what the situation is. Right. right? Um, I uh, Facebook not too long ago, really, a story about uh, I used to go for many years to a particular coffee shop. I would go most mornings, do my work, do my email, that kind of stuff, have a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And they were very good to me. They were very nice to me. There, okay. Right. We, we got along splendidly. However, at one point, there were 20 people working there, and 19 of them had college degrees, and 10 of them had master's degrees. Holy moly. At the coffee shop. And they're all in their 20s and 30s, and there's nothing wrong with working in a coffee shop. It's perfectly honorable work, but I absolutely guarantee they did not get those degrees to work in a coffee shop. Exactly. Right? And there were all these things that were just useless. There was no market for that education in any career. Right. And... uh, Somebody wanted to
0: go teach high school.
1: Yeah, somebody should have told well even (laughs) that, right? I mean, somebody should have informed them of this.
0: And obviously nobody did. Yeah.
1: Because and they all had student debt.
0: Or they they didn't pay any attention when they did.
1: Well, yeah, but you know, it really is a scam. It really is a scam because you're making these kids take on this debt telling them you need this to be successful when that's not true. Right. And and the only people who benefit from this are the professors the colleges and the banks.
0: Right. Right. Well, and the, the colleges are the ones that are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the kids pay for it all. And it's like, this is just stupid. Great inflation, or not, not great inflation, uh, tuition inflation is, yeah. is outpaces regular inflation by like three times. Oh, oh absolutely. Like 3x. And absolutely. It's, 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 it's bad. And it's because of all the government money in yeah. the student loans. Oh, no, exactly. I mean, that's, that's yeah, yeah, why you, it goes
1: you, up so bad. Exactly. You pour money into what's a fixed market, you inflate the price. Right. It's just that simple.
0: So, again, get the freaking federal government out of this business, exactly. out of the way.
1: Yes. Get them out of it. Yeah. Guaranteed loans out of all of that. that.
0: That makes, yeah, it should not be, that should not be part of the, no. part of the equation. No. And, and let's, if, if we're going to continue to have public schools, let's bring back things like vocational education. Um, let's bring back shop class. Let's bring back, you know, the, the auto shop where, you know, you can learn how to work on cars and stuff like that. I mean, how valuable would that be? You know, um, learning plumbing and electricity and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I I mean, when I was in high school, I took all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All those classes
0: were available. Yeah. Take all of them. We had wood shop. I never took it, but, um, and I don't remember what else. I'm sure that there were other things too, but. I always had wood shop, metal shop. Yeah.
1: Electronics shop.
0: Yeah. Auto shop. Yeah. All all those things when I
1: was in high school.
0: That's cool. Yeah, no, <laughs> and it's not offered anymore. No, it's, it's, it's not. not even an option. No. So, you know, I mean, that's that's part of the problem, too. So, you're right, we're pushing kids into, into these things that, that are ridiculous. And but again, they become good little subjects
1: for, for
0: the yeah, for
1: one, if they have enough debt, they get good little dependent subjects.
0: Bingo, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, well. I don't know that we're going to solve the problem today, (laughs) but we've talked about what the problem is.
1: So I think the solution is really simple. You have to get the federal government out of it. Yeah. And you have to get parents into it. Right. Right. Parents have to care and you have to create a mechanism by which school boards and school systems and school principals, school administrators and teachers are obligated to react to parents' wishes.
0: That would be key. Yes. And the derision the, the with which most educators and especially administrators view parents at this point in time, uh, not not to mention the FBI putting parents who go to school board meetings on watch lists and that kind of thing, not to mention that part, but yeah, which is one of the more ridiculous outcomes of the pandemic. Yeah, no, no.
1: I mean, well, um, you hit on it before, though, right? Progressives believe their children, uh, your children belong to them. Right.
0: And, right. And,
1: yeah, it doesn't matter how badly they screw those kids up. It doesn't matter.
0: The worse they screw them up, the better that they view that they've done their job. Uh, well, exactly. Right. No, oh. exactly. Right.
1: The more, the more it success, the, the more homelessness, mental illness, substance abuse requires more political solutions. Right. So it really is a self licking lollipop. <laughs> I love that
0: phrase. Yeah. <laughs> so really the the thing is, parents, you got to be brave. You got to get into mama bear mode, papa bear mode and and go fight for your kids. Well, go fight for your kids, literally. I no, mean, exactly. Really, really what we need. And that's it's the first step in saving this country. It's the first step in removing their political power because this was a very easy place for them to take it over. And they have done a very thorough job of it.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And so until we take back our schools, until we take back our children, really yeah. um you know this none of these problems get solved. No, I don't think so. Yep. All right, so there Parents, you've got your marching orders. <laughs> and if you're not a parent, then you still need to talk to talk to people about this stuff. Yeah,
1: get involved yeah. if you're not a parent.
0: Yeah. Be, be part of the, the booster club or yeah. whatever. You know, go volunteer in a classroom if you've got time. You know, that's that's important um, as well. And, and, you know, be available to kids to be a mentor and talk to them about these things. Um, I think that all of us have an opportunity to do that. And that pushes back on the prevailing narrative that pushes back on what's going on inside our schools. And then next step is vouchers. The next step is school boards. The next step is, you know, just taking our kids from where they are at this point in time and helping. Yes. Helping make them better. Yep. So there exactly. You go. Keith, what are we going to talk about next time? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> we touched on CRT today. Yeah. And I'm wondering if maybe we shouldn't do a show about CRT. Sure, we can do that. Because I, I just, it's something that, uh, that has come so much to the forefront uh, at this point in time. And it, it, it kind of intersects nicely with with the education piece. So, so let's talk about critical race theory. Okay. Next time. We could do that. On Cowgirls and Indians.
1: Thank right. you for joining
0: us.